I am Connor McCloud of the Clan McCloud, and I am immortal. You talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, chief metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain. Everybody's got their problems. I'm Candy. Of course you are. Hello and welcome to Another Time A Cloud, the only podcast to our knowledge that goes through that classic 1986 movie Highlander, scene by glorious scene. I'm your host Rob Daniel, and as always I am very happy to say that I'm joined by McKinsman. Mr. Rob Wallace. And as always, it's a true delight to be here. (laughs) Always nice when you say that. Hmm. And also, it thrills me to say, you'd have heard them on the previous episode, but Mark and Elaine Gregerson from the Honeymoon Period podcast are back to talk more Highlander. So welcome back, Mark and Elaine. Hello, the delight is all ours as well. We are not kinsmen. That would be a problem. But the sentiment is there. <laughs> oh, would that be a problem? <laughs> By marriage, I think we yeah. are. Yeah. I don't know, because sort of means like relatives and we're not related apart from marriage. Oh, I see what you mean. I thought you were saying that you're not our kinsman. And it's like, oh no, have I... Oh no, no. Oh, that that's a bit mean, isn't it? To start the podcast and go, well, I'm not your, ma- your kinsman. Kinsman. <laughs> I'm t- more talking about the, the guy sat next to me, yeah. not not my kinsman in that way, um, but but all all friends together. I thought I'd made a faux pas, kins person or um, sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, kinfolk. I'm going to stick with kinsman for you, Rob. Well, I've started something here that I didn't mean to. Well, moving on to what we're going to be talking about today. So this scene is from fifty three oh nine to fifty four twenty. And this is the scene in which Ramirez has a lovely drink with Heather in the Fixer Upper Castle, but it is rudely and dramatically interrupted by the arrival of the Kurgan. So there are many things I think to talk about, even though it's quite a short scene. But Mark and Elaine, what did you make of it? Can we talk about the establishing shot on this first of all? Yes, please. Because is this a painting? Because it looks it to me. Although I looked at it about 20 times and the goats don't move, but the horse moves. And it's really subtle the way the horse moves. And I went on Netflix and had to switch from my telly where it's really awkward to rewind to my laptop and clicked back 10 seconds, watched it again, back 10 seconds, watched it again, back 10 seconds, watched it again, just to see the subtleness to make sure the horse does actually move. I think it's a layering of various elements. I thought that all the animals were real, but you might be right. But to quote Russell Mulcahy on the audio commentary for this scene, well, that's rather a bad matte painting, isn't it? (laughs) So... (laughs) He himself, I don't think, is too impressed with it. I kind of like the fact that it's so obviously artificial but it's so obviously something that's been hand painted it just again adds i think to the tactile nature of this movie and the lightning flashes on the castle do give it some life but yes it is it is a very 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 matte painting shot that is that's wonderfully cheesy it made me think of uh, the old british tv series nightmare hmm. yes yes absolutely truth accepted rob Life force draining team. (laughs) Sidestep left. Sidestep left. 
Yeah, which I guess explaining this to our, our non-British listeners was, yeah, a, a game show back in the... Could be 80s. 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 Early 90s, I think. Oh, wow. Apparently 1987 to 1994. Mm. Wow. Which essentially was a kid's TV show that was like a live action RPG mm. when uh, you had this sort of dungeon master guiding get this guy the dungeon master tray guard uh guiding these uh these kids through these dungeons with all these different tasks so yeah it was a bit kind of um yeah probably like dungeons and dragons meets the crystal maze yeah that's a perfect that, way of describing perfect. it yeah 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 absolutely and mark and elaine can you remember what the dungeon master would say if the contestants got a question wrong Ooh. oh no no oh, this is that's going to annoy me falsehood oh Oh, I, d- I didn't remember that at all. Obviously resonated much more with me as a kid. <laughs> I would just go around saying falsehood whenever anything wasn't right. And uh, everyone hated me for it. <laughs> oh, I bet they loved that, Rob. <laughs> falsehood. You insufferable prick. <laughs> falsehood. Oh, actually, no. Truth accepted. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember truth accepted. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Can we all agree before we move on that the the point Nightmare got crap was when they got the shield with the eye on it, and that's when it jumped the shark. <laughs> not ha- not having the in depth knowledge to challenge you on this, I will say yes. There was also a bit where an elf joined the cast. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I remember the elf. elf. I remember the elf joining. That's a definite poochie oh, the, moment. The Joker. Of, yeah. <laughs> Who knew so much could come out of a matte painting? Yes, that's right. I think I'd stopped watching it by the time the shield with the eye and the elf came into it. Um, Are you a purist then? (laughs) No, I think it was just one of those things where, um, I mean, it ended when I was in my second year of university and I wasn't really watching it by that point. So uh, just too old, just too old. (laughs) How about Fort Boyard? Does anyone remember Fort Boyard? Yeah. Was that Melinda Messenger? Yes, it was. I get Fort Boyard mixed up with Naked Jungle. (laughs) Of course. It's a worry, given that Fort Boyard was, from what I remember, quite buoyant. <laughs> so it was Naked Jungle. jungle. <laughs> was it Naked Jungle with, with Keith Chegwin? Oh, yeah. What have you started here, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> no. we're, we're pivoting. We're now doing a, uh, a classic uh, British game shows uh, podcast. That's what this is now. Yes. Well, you say classics heavily inverted because I don't think that Fort Boyard was particularly classic, although um, it did have its fans, didn't it? It had Tom Baker in it for a while. Did it? Yeah. A number of years. Wow. He was. I think he was the captain. He was a... He basically just had to be in a lighthouse and <laughs> probably recorded all his episodes for the season on the, the same day. Your knowledge of Foy, Foy, Fort Boyard, it's hard to say that, isn't it? Fort Boyard um, is quite impressive, Rob. Yeah, worryingly impressive. Well, it's just because I was a big classic Doctor Who fan, so anything with Tom Baker in it was immediately going to hold my attention. Okay, there's one more question about this and then we'll get back to Highlander. Was he doing the captain from Blackadder 2? Um... No, not to, it was sort of slightly softy. He wasn't quite so uh, barking mad. <laughs> Me laddie. Though, yeah, he, he was in this just called Captain Baker. <laughs> you know. It took a long time to think of that one, didn't they? <laughs> aye, aye, aye. So, yes. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we open up on a map painting. Um, 
I don't think there's anything else, anything we can really say about that. Um, but then there's a really, really good shot that is the inverse of a previous, no, sorry, of two scenes ago when the camera goes up to Connor and Ramirez sitting up in the rafters. So this starts off at the top of the castle and then goes through the window and drops down to Ramirez and Heather at the table. And again, there's just like this nice symmetry that the film will bring across scenes like that um that i think just shows that there's a bit of thought that's been put into how this is all put together i think it takes a lot to justify two crane shots in two minutes but the they are done so well that i think it does pull it off i've got i've got a double response to that in terms of it takes a lot to justify two crane shots in two minutes uh all i can say to that is falsehood (laughs) but for the second part of it i will say truth accepted (laughs) 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 <laughs> now this is a great shot it's the um because it's one of those things where they had to move the walls as it was going through the window so that the crane could get through there which apparently was an old hitchcock technique um according to russell mckay on the audio commentary and you're right mark it is one of those things where it's like well there's a lot of crane shots in here and are these absolutely necessary it's like i don't think they're necessary to drive the story forwards but i think in terms of having that a kind of balance between the different scenes and also just having an interesting visual way to tell the story. Um, I just love the crane shots in this. <laughs> I'm a sucker for a crane shot. I do think that if, if it was less visually ambitious, this movie, there would be, I'm never going to say with this cast or, you know, with the with the script behind it, it could ever be boring. But that's the thing. The story is so, has such this grand sweep to it. It really does need these directorial flourishes and I love the fact that, you know, we, we kind of go through the window and it's Ramirez telling Heather these chivalrous stories of his kind of trysts from long ago. And the fact that, you know, that they're sat at the table and they're drinking and that he tells this, you know, this wonderful anecdote about, you know, she was the only thing on my mind, not danger. It must have been very dangerous for you. Well, I was very much in love with her, my dear Heather. She was the only thing on my mind, not danger. You know, and swings through the uh, the window and finds the woman he's expecting is gone. So he, he romances the woman that's there instead. She was most helpful. <laughs> and and Heather is obviously charmed by him in a way that, like previously, she's either been like just a bit nonplussed or you know. And the fact that like it's nice, it's because it's a scene without Connor in it, where two other characters you get a relationship scene with you know two characters that aren't Connor. Yes, and lovely to see Ramirez and and Heather together, and Heather not sort of not interacting with Connor, not being the love interest in inverted commas for Connor, and serving him. She's there of her own accord, having a lovely drink, chatting to this fella, you know, listening to the stories. Oh, would you like some more wine? Yes, please. I I really enjoyed that, and I, I'm not sure in other films you would necessarily get that. I think it's it's only a moment. It's not very long. It's it's not in inverted commas necessary, but it really does something to tell you a bit more about her, a bit more about Ramirez. And we were saying before in the previous episode about Connor and Ramirez having their little meeting up on the ledge and maybe a little secret chat. And this sort of feels like Heather and Ramirez having their little secret chat while Connor's out tending to goats, sheep, horses putting his head in a bucket of water and splashing his beautiful hair around, you know, that sort of thing. It, it just, it's just that little moment for them that, like you say, a bit like with the crane shot, it's not necessary, but it's a, it's a lyrical flourish. Mm. I'm going to upset you now. 
on her way. I think Ramirez is definitely hitting on Heather here. He's not. <laughs> he's not. He's like he's like a fun uncle that comes to a party and tells you some stories. And then later on, you have a chat with your mate and you go, oh, Uncle Ramirez telling his tales about, you know, when he was young and he flew through a window and, oh, look, she was there. Oh, she was very helpful in inverted commas. That's what he, that's what it is. Okay. I'll, I'll present my evidence. Where's the wine come from? Where's, where's the wine come from? There is no way someone living in that castle has wine in <laughs> Scotland in the, in the 16th century. But it's, Heather, it's Heather's wine because she forgets to give him some. She's like pouring herself a little glass. No, and no, 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 oh, no, no, oh, no, oh, no, do you, no. Do you want some wine? Oh, yeah, thanks very no, much. No, Ramirez has got this wine from Spain because <laughs> I, I looked into where wine was being produced in these ages. There is no way Scotland would have some. He's brought it along. <laughs> Connor's out. He's like, oh, I've got something here for you. Mark's just done um, an improvisation of getting some wine and putting it on a table just for everyone at home. <laughs> Not really podcast friendly, but he picked it up off the floor and he plonked it on the table like a bottle of wine. <laughs> I can picture it now. So do you think if the Kurgan hadn't turned up, then this scene would turn into a confessions movie, Mark? And he would have to hide in like... I don't know, the closet or something. With his bum out, yeah. <laughs> With his bum out, that's right. I am rolling my eyes. I'm rolling my eyes so much. <laughs> He's describing swinging through a window with a rose between his teeth. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I don't know. And, and I don't think she is charmed, but I think she, <laughs> she sees him as this funny character. It's like Rob says, you know, previously in previous scenes, she's like lurking in the market, looking you know, shiftily at both of them, looking with nervousness of like, why is this man coming to our, strange man's come into our lives and he's talking to my husband and my husband seems to be very distracted. You know, she's she's nervous of it. She's unsure. And I think this is part of her sort of almost warming to him, but not in that way. Her going, oh, right, you know, he's got a bit of crack around him and um, <laughs> he's, 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 um, he's becoming part of the family. He's not going to take my husband away from me. My one complaint, my one complaint about this scene now is that Heather doesn't say great crack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ramirez, great crack. I'm not saying Heather's necessarily <laughs> drawn to him in that way. I'm saying Ramirez is definitely putting it out there. No, no, he's he's had too much loss in his life. Remember his great <laughs> love. And then she died. You know, I know he's been married. Was it? Has he been married three times, Robs? Is that right? You remember from? It's, yes, the last time was to Shikiko, a Japanese princess. He's going oh, for number like four. He's, he's going like... for number four. He isn't. You must leave her brother. <laughs> exactly. I think it's one of those. Yeah, he's not going for any marriage now. He's just going for just fun and need. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, actually, yeah, the, the line was, you must leave us, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I choose on this one to... Sorry, Mark, I'm going to have to side with Elaine on this. I think that he's not hitting on yes. her because that would be horrible. Um, and He's very old. He was only in his 60s and... I mean, the character. <laughs> and he does look very, very dashing. Oh, but that gets into something really interesting, doesn't it? Because that then gets into Twilight territory where everyone suddenly realised, and I said, oh, this guy's yeah. 150 and is hitting on a schoolgirl. Yeah. Um, yeah, indeed, that's another thing there is that when, how old is he? What was he? 3,000 years old or 5,000 years old or something? He's born, I think, about, if I remember correctly, about 2,500 BC. So by this point, he's about 4,000. Yeah. So there comes a point where it's like, do you stop being old? <laughs> and I don't know. It's mm. like... I think the general rule is half your age plus seven. So he needs to find someone who's 2,007 years <laughs> old. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. So Kasigir, I suppose, or someone like that. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> or the Kurgan. <laughs> There's some slash fic out there, isn't there? Kurgan! Ramirez. <laughs> We're back into queer theory. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. And the Kurgan does come knocking, so yeah. According to an interview I saw recently with Clancy Brown, um, by what he's heard, actually, um, the producers of Highlander, Panzer and uh, Davis offered Connery the role of Connor. Mm, that's right. Oh. Because obviously he's, you know, kind of the most famous Scottish actor on the planet and the film's called Highlander. Mm, yeah. Despite the fact that obviously, you know, he was a bit old at this point to be playing the, the hero's journey role, you know, in, in a film with a mentor. Um, although it would have been interesting if they'd had him, you know, the older Connery being mentored by a man who looks younger but is in fact older. But apparently um, Connery was only interested in playing Ramirez. Which is for the best. Was that down to the amount of time he had to work on it? And... Yeah, I think I think possibly due to the amount of time and possibly due to the fact it's clearly a good part. Oh, he's having a lot of fun there, isn't he, as well? Yeah. Yeah, like if, you know, I only want to do the scene that I know are going to be filmed in Scotland. Uh, he's described as being a peacock, which means I'll get a wonderful costume. I'll get to, you know, be the mentor. I get to have gravitas. I get to, yeah. It's a real, you know, this this is a film that I, w- I wouldn't go so far to say that anybody is a real scene stealer because everybody is in their own way a scene stealer. You know, with the amount of time that we spent talking about background artists, absolutely everybody, you know, people basically, they, everyone t- takes it in turns to steal scenes. And it's, uh, it's one of the really nice things about this film, because even if you're only in it for a minute, nobody gets overshadowed. Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally right. Um, but I, I like the, uh, the sudden shift in mood that you get when suddenly the warning strings kick in and Michael Kamen's score. And it's a sort of, um, like, spider sense. He can, you know, he can sense the Kurgan approaching. Heather, get out. My question is, how far does the Kurgan have to be before he can sense him? Because he's pretty much outside the building by this point. Yeah, it does seem to be. Yes, his um, yes, his Wi-Fi sense seemed to have like quite a short range, didn't it? It was uh, about twelve feet or something like that. Line of sight. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It's all that wine. Just a gap in the bricks in the in the in the dilapidated castle. Uh, yeah, that's right. You just saw him through the window. That's it. There was no sense. It's the fucking Kurgan. It's the Kurgan at the window. Um, but Lane, that's interesting. Yes, that the wine might have dulled his senses. Uh. Yeah. But um, like there's the there's the great shot again with the pigeons. They all take off from the rafters because presumably they for some reason can sense evil too. Uh. <laughs> I have to admit, I did not consider the pigeons in the previous scene when you guys were just talking about the pigeons and it's like oh just look at all the pigeons um i have to admit i was a bit thick and it was only when they all took flight in this scene that it was like oh yeah there's loads of pigeons there they just shit everywhere (laughs) that would be horrible living in there (laughs) Um, so this is when i came to the pigeon realization although to be fair that table you know the, the beautifully uh, set out table with the wine and everything it's got this bowl full of the greenest apples you've ever seen you would think with all those pigeons hanging around you would you know the, there may have been some uh, some sense of putting a cover over it or something but there they are the greenest of, of all the apples just just sitting out there in the open waiting for the pigeons yeah i think they're so polished because she's they've had to scrub the shit off them <laughs> 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 yeah, we're just coming after that. That's right. You know, uh, yes. When uh, Connery reaches across the table, you know, to get his glass topped up, and just he's like, uh, "You know, what? I, I, I think I'll leave it." <laughs> What's my appetite? I also love, you know, when when Connery stands up and he draws the sword and says, "Heather, get out!" It's like, how? 
Presumably there's only one door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Just through one of the um, open windows, that because there are no windows. So just, just jump through one of the window frames. I liked his chivalry, though. Again, it's like that sense of character of his first, you know, he has his little spiny senses, and then his first port of call is to tell Heather to get to some kind of safety, um, even though there is nowhere really for her to go. Uh, but that's his first port of call. Heather, get out. Yeah. And he he looks protective as well. He you know he's getting prepared, and he's he looks body language wise like he's trying to protect her in some way. Yeah, because because uh, the camera's quite you know low behind him, and the, there is the sense that he's you know he's shielding her. And then you've got those. Uh, then obviously you've got the boom, boom, boom on the door, and it just explodes inwards. <laughs> and it looks. The door does look a little bit um, polystyrene-y, but it's still a really good effect. Well, again, on the audio commentary, Russell Mulcahy says, yeah, that wood doesn't really look like wood, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's... he's uh, Yes, he will call out the flaws of the film on the audio commentary in quite a nice way sometimes. But, um, but the thing with this, though, that it's like... One of the things I like about Highlander is that every time you see the Kurgan, it's like the first time you're supposed to have seen the Kurgan. Every single entrance he has is the villain's intro shot. So despite the fact that we've seen the Kurgan a number of times by this point, the film is treating this moment like it's the first time we've ever seen the Kurgan. And it's like, yeah, why have one villain intro shot when you can just have one in every single scene that he's in? You're totally right. I've never realised that before. But yeah, every time you see him, it's like... (laughs) Yeah, the first time you ever cut to him. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Which is a great way to treat your villain. Which is like, yeah, we are never going to stop making him seem menacing and impressive. We're never going to treat him like a character that's already been introduced. It's always going to be like, it's the Kurgan! <laughs> he does feel like a big deal when he turns up, and I think that's probably the reason why. I think he looks slightly different as well each time. Well, I'm thinking about all the entrances, and I'm thinking about, you know, Back in the Highlands, when we first meet him, he's on the horse. He's got the skull hat on. This time, he's got the long flowing hair, and he doesn't have quite so much in terms of the the costuming that he had earlier on. And then later on, when he's um in present day, and he's sort of got the the leathers on. So every time, you're absolutely right. It's it is establishing him each time as as this villain in this in this different guise. I suppose he's a showman. It, it, there is like a degree of like you know going back to um when we had you uh, on previously when you had that. that wonderful conversation about there is a degree of like professional wrestling here that he is going to make an entrance he'd be one hell of a baddie in wrestling (laughs) have they ever done anything like the kurgan i suppose that the undertaker had a touch of it but not really has there ever ever been well there is a wrestler that was called kurgan in the late 90s um he was part of a oh god this is gonna not got any notes on this either um he was part of a South African group called the Truth Commission, which were a kind of a paramilitary group in WWF. And then they changed him to be... Uh, he was the interrogator. Then they changed him to be Kurgan the interrogator. He was basically... I think he's in um, the Sherlock Holmes film. Oh, wow. Um, I think that's the right guy. Let me guess. Judging by your arsonist toolkit, you're here to burn down the building and extinguish all evidence therein. Just one minute, boys. Oh, dredger! No problem. 
Yeah, well, I've, I'm, I've just looked him up. He's he's also in 300. He's in Immortals. He's in Pacific Rim, Brick Mansions, Hercules, and Deadpool 2. Yeah, he's he, he's one of those generic-looking big guys that you see in films. Uh, yeah, he became Kurgan the Interrogator. And then they disbanded the Truth Commission, because it was awful, and put him in another group of weird people called the Oddities, <laughs> which included the Insane Clown Posse for a little while. Oh, wow. <laughs> of course it did <laughs> because because wrestling yeah. um, it also had an even bigger guy called Giant Silver um, who was even bigger than Kurgan so it kind of took away everything that made him special and um, put him wearing tie-dye and dancing around to the Insane Clown Posse mm, okay. <laughs> with the late 80s wrestler Earthquake under a mask with a Cartman doll just to really hone in on the uh, year that this was. <laughs> that sounds. Yeah, that does sound very, very time specific. Was there anything to the Kurgan that referenced Highlander other than the... nothing at all? <laughs> <laughs> with us, but with two R's. Could be. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a while. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not really a gimmick that gets mentioned, but yeah, it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the two R's was for copyright reasons. <laughs> Almost certainly. Yeah, Vince McMahon is not going to pay for character usage. We'll just put another R in there. That's fine. The lawyers have said it's fine. But yeah, I would say in in this scene, you've got then got the uh, the shot of Heather's face as she does that you know wonderful proper scream queen. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but that really reminded me of Hammer Horror. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Just, yeah, the look of it and the way that, well, once is in a very, very gothic setting, but just the colours just seemed that very kind of, was it Eastman colour that they used in those films? Just seemed a much older moment and I, yeah, just loved it. I think it's just the framing and the angle as well. It is that sort of stock photo that you see used in kind of retro pop art imagery of a woman screaming with her hands next to her face yes um, it just it, it definitely just calls back to that and now like you know if you were to do a hammer horror version of highlander with you know, obviously a very different casting i think the kurgan the closest actor would probably be would be christopher lee in terms of his ability to and he would be like the debonair version of that character the one that we talked about um clancy brown wanting to play and i guess uh, peter cushing is ramirez oh that'd be brilliant oh this would be ace <laughs> What a great film that would be. Although actually Christopher Lee played Rasputin and played him as this kind of wild man. And so he could bring some of that wildness to it as well. But yeah, you're right. I think he would also have like a debonair flair to him as well, I suppose. And uh, yeah, then the uh, the camera tracks in on Kurgan's face. As Ramirez off screen says, Kurgan! Kurgan! <laughs> and that's why it seems like there was a draft of this film where that was the first time that you'd seen him. Because you're right. Ramirez off screen says Kurgan when you see Kurgan's face. So it's like, I know there can't have been a cut of this movie where this was the first time you'd seen him because it's it's so integral that he first meets Connor. But again, that just does seem like, yeah, wouldn't it be great if this was the first time that we saw him? Let's just do that anyway. <laughs> For some reason, I'm just thinking of the, uh, the Simpsons thing about Poochie. It's like, you know, every time Poochie's on screen, people should be saying Poochie. Every time Poochie's not on screen, people should be asking, hey, where's Poochie? <laughs> Elaine's never seen that episode of The Simpsons, and I really need to show her it because I reference it every single podcast that we do, and probably yeah. every day when we're not doing it. And there was a very, very good Poochie reference in the previous episode, Mark, that I... Thoroughly appreciated, and uh, and I think that the Pooch's home planet is the planet Zeist, isn't it? So, uh... <laughs> Elaine's looking completely nonplussed here. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
all the immortals died on the way back to their home planet. Yeah, sorry, Elaine. It's like, this is just how you wanted to spend your Thursday evening. Talking about The Simpsons. All right, we've done wrestling. We've done Poochie. It's fine. We've done Nightmare. It's, it's uh... you know, this is my evening every night. Again, the question is how it took the Kurgan five years to find Connor. <laughs> I mean, he was building up to bursting in, wasn't he? he was like, I've, I've just got to, just got to make this entrance. How do I get in? How do I get through this door? I'm just, I'm not gonna, you know, sort of knock and wait for them to come. I'm just gonna burst through. Took five years just for the run up. <laughs> That's right, it was. He was practicing for five years of running through doors so that he could make a great entrance. But he really wanted the Jack Nicholson in The Shining, but ended up taking it back to ITV Tea Time uh, as Nanny in Count Ducula. That was the thing he kind of reminded me of. Now look what you've done. Oh, ducky boos, you said to come through the door. I give up, I just give up. <laughs> kind of reminded me of the Incredible Hulk a bit. But, um... Or the uh, the uh, the Kool-Aid guy. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> that's one of those references that i never actually seen, but only understand the reference to through watching The Simpsons and things like that. Yeah, me too. Um, but it's just been in so many things now. It's uh... But Elaine, I think you're onto something in terms of he does look different when he comes through. And I have to admit, that didn't occur to me. So I have to go back now to look at the scene again to see if there are any clues in his costume to say where he's been. Because he does look, you know. Yeah, so it's the hair for me. Mm. (laughs) I don't know why. I I wonder whether it's because it's under the helmet in the previous um, scene when he's fighting Connor. um, That... Now it's so free flowing. <laughs> he looks a little bit younger as well. I think I always think of Clancy Brown being of a of an age, but in this in this particular scene, you can really see his youth. Mm, absolutely. Well, Clancy Brown was uh, twenty seven when they shot this. Oh wow, really? Yeah, I think so. That's Clancy. Well, Clancy Brown, sorry, was born in nineteen fifty nine. Well, okay, okay. So he was twenty seven when the film came out. Yes. Makes sense then. Maybe that's the first time I'm sort of the capturing of that youth and then as the film progresses and he gets more and more gruesome with the neck and the hair and well the head the shaved head um that's sort of how i think of him (laughs) but in this he he looks quite picturesque (laughs) (laughs) well because this was the highlander was only his fifth film his first film was um as we've talked about previously back in 1983 with uh bad boys Mm. yeah that's right yeah that's uh that's good film that sean penn um, equivalent to Scum. It's about a young offender's prison. It's good. And then his second film was The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Then he did a film called Thunder Alley, which I believe was another canon film, which I think was like a kind of teen drama. And then he did The Bride, which we, again, we've talked about a good deal with um, the Frankenstein retelling with Sting and uh, Jennifer Beals and uh, Clancy Brown as, as well. His character in that was called Victor. As, of course, um, is his um, pseudonym in uh, in Highlander. Okay, Mr. Victor Kruger, room 315. Which, uh, yeah, it was his performance in The Bride uh, and a recommendation from Sting, who Russell Mulcahy had worked with, that led to his casting in Highlander. I think at one point Sting was approached to play Connor. Mm. Was, uh, which would have been interesting casting, but it wouldn't have been... Yeah, you can't. It's all Christopher Lambert. Absolute them all, as Christopher <laughs> Lambert would say. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, well, Sting would have his Geordie accent, so, you know, would have, have some sort of accent going on there, but uh, not as good as Christopher Lambert. Now I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to try doing the Geordie accent, but if, yeah, if somebody wants to respond to, you know, you talk funny, Nash, where are you from? Wall's End. <laughs> <laughs> <The> tune. <laughs> 
<laughs> Brilliant. But of course, Sting does speak Space Geordie in Dune. So um, yes, indeed. Well, you know, not lots of planets of a time side. <laughs> anyway, that's a Doctor Who reference, isn't it? Yes, that's that's a Doctor Who reference. Well, shall we take this time to have a brief chat about the wonderful B.T. Edney, who of course plays Heather? Of course. And I did not know until I was looking up today that she is the daughter of the British acting legend Sylvia Sims. Did you guys know that? Yeah, I found that out today as well. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Do you know this? And if I'm like, of course you do. But yeah, Sylvia Sims. And you can see the resemblance once it's pointed out to you. You can really, really see it in a face. Yeah, absolutely. I never would have never would have guessed that. But it's like, oh yeah, look at that. Um, so Sylvia Sims, of course, was in lots of different films, including Ice Cold and Alex and Victim. But yeah, it was like, wow, that's... So she's kind of acting royalty. Um, yeah. I haven't seen her first film, which was A Day at the Beach, which was made in 1970. Have you guys heard of that one? I I didn't. No. Not at all. I've not heard of it. No, no. it's... Uh, but she plays the young niece of an alcoholic uncle. Um, and Roman, Roman Polanski wrote the screenplay. So... Hmm. Right. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things, because I just keep seeing her and stuff and just not recognising her as Heather, because she was also in In the Name of the Father. She plays one of the Guildford Four. And I did not recognise her as Heather when I saw that film. Yeah, same. Um, and I, I can see her face. And, you know, when I think about that film, I can really see her. Um, yeah. real, the real haunted look she has as someone who has obviously suffered a huge injustice and spent all that time in prison. That Really, it, it stays with me. I know a lot of people talk about... Um, quite rightly Daniel Day-Lewis and um, Pete Postlethwaite for that film but um, as the you know, the only woman I can really see that that haunted look on on her face from that from that performance and I did not the two the two together at all I did not think oh there's Heather from from Highlander yeah it's so weird because I also remember that shot you're talking about because it's at the end isn't it when they get their retrial and it's mm. the first time You've seen her since the original trial, and she just has that yes. those haunted, sunken eyes. And yeah, that was a shot that really, really stuck with me as well. And but again, yeah, it was like would never have thought that was Heather from Highlander. Um, and I never saw the reboot Poldark. Did you guys watch that? No, no. no. It, it sounds like something that would be absolutely right on my street end because I I do love a period drama, but. Um, no, I, I just it just didn't didn't cross our cross our paths. It would probably never have crossed my path. No, uh, no, it wouldn't have, no, that's true. <laughs> I'm just looking through IMDb now, and she is in everything that I've never seen. <laughs> so, like, literally, like New Tricks, The Bill, uh, Hotel Babylon, Doctors, every A Touch of Frost, everything that everyone that like British TV. Um, Masterpieces, maybe not in the case of Doctors, but um... <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll tell you, Doctors is very good. But things that just have, have absolutely managed to avoid. Oh, she saved the cinema as well. I say she also played uh, on the stage. She played Cecile to uh, Alan Rickman's uh, Valmont in uh, Le Liaisons Dangereuse. Oh wow! Oh fabulous! Oh, wow! Oh, that would have been something to behold. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's some really nice photos of the two of them together. Uh, to to show my complete ignorance, is that the Michelle Pfeiffer role? It's the uh, it's the ingenue role. Ah, oh, right, yeah, so the Uma Thurman role. Uh, interesting. When was that? Yeah, uh, nineteen eighty-seven. So yeah, around the, uh, very shortly after this. Oh, wow, excellent. But yeah, Mark, I was looking at her filmography and just thinking, oh yeah, all these films I've heard of, but I never saw. 
like Miss Pettigrew lives for a day <laughs> and save the cinema, which I hear good things about, but I've not got around to watching it yet. I am um, also I love the way that the uh, the camera tracks in on Clancy Brown's face as Ramirez says Kurgan and his you know and his, uh, this, this grin comes to his face and his eyes just light up as he realizes and he goes Ramirez yeah Ramirez yeah it's just <laughs> absolutely wonderful it's it's such a great bit of villain acting <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah you get that line reading in and you're like right finish for the day <laughs> off we go I think it matches so lovely with it. I know it's um, off camera that Connery's says Kurgan, but that just that lovely mix of Kurgan Ramirez. I don't know what it is about it <laughs> today. Sorry, I'm obviously just laughing at myself now. But I was trying it out with like other names today. Hmm. Like if you were Mark Elaine, it just doesn't work. But Kurgan Ramirez, just something about those names put together in that way that. Just, just, it's delicious. Well, it's it's the hard K on Kurgan and the, you know, Ramirez. (laughs) (laughs) With the eyes. Yes. And and the thing is, the Kurgan's clearly not expecting to find him here. He's clearly expecting Connor. And and we get in the later scene, in the next, sorry, in the next scene where, you know, Ramirez saying, I prepared him for you. But the Kurgan's like, does the Kurgan not think it's a bit of a coincidence (laughs) that he's turned up looking for one immortal and found another? (laughs) There's a real delight in his in his face, isn't it? That oh right, brilliant! I've I've come for this this Highlander, and now I've got Ramirez as well. You you really get that sense that he just loves the fight. You know, there's no no sense of worry or concern that Ramirez is there and he might have to fight two immortals. You know, oh Ramirez is here, brilliant! I get to do a bit more fighting. It's a bit like Pokemon Go, though, isn't it? Like if you're looking for a Pikachu and a Jigglypuff turns up, then you know you get two at once. <laughs> I mean, a Jigglypuff, just in terms of general colouring, and is probably a fairly good shout for Ramirez. I don't actually know what they look like. It's just <laughs> they're the only two Pokemon that I know. That and Snorlax, because Elaine says I, I'm a Snorlax, it's which true. is nice. It's true. Well, actually, on that note, where is Connor? Yes, what a good point. I tell you what, Ramirez has sent him out. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> it's about to get some milk or something from the next town. Where is it? Is he... Because he's clearly not just tending to the sheep and outside. He's clearly some ways away. Yeah, I don't think it's ever explained where he is. Not that I can remember. Yeah. Maybe he's doing some training. or Well, either Ramirez has sent him out, or he's gone to run an errand because he himself is having an affair. Sorry, Elaine. (laughs) No, no, no. That's where I draw the line. I refuse to consider the notion that Connor, Connor would ever cheat on Heather. Absolutely. Yes. That's a terrible thing I just did. Shame, shame. Shame. I want scandal in this. Burn him! (laughs) But it would be interesting. And also, I mean, again, we'll get into this when we talk about it on a future episode. But why doesn't the Kurgan stay for Connor? But anyway, it's fine. We'll get to that a bit later. But um, obviously, for plot reasons, they can't have Connor there. But they never, I don't think, explain where he's gone to. And it's like, well, he must have gone to market to the next town or something or maybe maybe the new sheepskins are in and he wanted to get there early he's in a he's in yeah. the medieval equivalent of an iphone queue yeah. because the new skins are in so he's uh <laughs> he's camping out overnight he's outside with his head stuck in the bucket i think it has to be somewhere where he's away for quite because it's it's dark it's night i think it has to be it can't just be that he's outside with the you know the livestock because then he would see what was happening and certainly you know the destruction of his home but 
yeah, I th- and then that fits that that it's a long time until he discovers what actually happens, and um, that he doesn't just arrive on the scene. Yeah, um, to come to Heather's Heather's aid. So yeah, I think it has to be that he's a, he's away somewhere, like at the next town, at market, or. Do, do, doing whatever they do to make money, you know. He's seeing Celia Emery. He is not seeing Celia Emery. <laughs> she no longer likes him. <laughs> she has a great dislike for him. On. Maybe he just likes being burned. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you should mention Celia Emery. I'm going to Comic-Con this weekend <gasps> and she's going to be there. Oh, wow. Oh, can you get her to record a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to say, are, we, are you going to do anything wrong? Well, that's the thing. She's she's giving a talk. She's giving well, like an hour talk, and I am going to sort of you know try and slip in. Obviously, you know, I'm sure somebody else might mention it beforehand because you know it is it is a beloved film. To just sort of say, obviously, you know, you've been working for many years, you know, you've, but um, you know, I given you know Highlander and your your involvement in that film, would you mind just yelling burn him? <laughs> <laughs> I'd ask a question if I were you, Rob. So you probably would respond to that better. And also record it as well, so I can put it into the podcast. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. You know, uh, chances are, I won't do that. And hopefully, I hate asking questions at Q and A's, <laughs> so I'm hoping somebody else will uh, will uh, tackle it for me. <laughs> well, is there an opportunity for like photos and things like that? And can you get her to record? I'm Celia Remery, and you're listening to another time, <laughs> yeah. McLeod. Brilliant. Well, I might, I might, hopefully, maybe get to just you know say a very quick word to her. So she's she's going to have her um her table, and I, I've avoided looking into the costs of getting photos with various people. Because that way lies uh, madness and financial ruin. <laughs> well, if it doesn't work out, just take my clip and no one will know. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, now you've got me thinking about, um, yeah, so Connor's clearly not out with the livestock because it's after dark. Why would he be out with livestock um, <laughs> when the sun had gone down? Andy, Andy would see the destruction, wouldn't he? See what was going on. And also, yeah, the fact that he's gone out after dark to make money. Again, my mind is racing. I'm just so many different things. But um, maybe he gives, I don't know, guided tours of the woods or something. Guided tours of the woods? (laughs) This is getting dark again. Um, This is where they tried to burn me. Uh, This is where I had some stocks. And at this point, I got rid of the stocks, although we don't quite know how that occurred. So I'll keep that one to myself. (laughs) This is where I disarm the immortal. What? Nothing? He said immortal. I didn't. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so we, we start the scene with a, in words of the director, a rather bad matte painting, um, and ended with a wonderful close-up of the lovely Clancy Brown. <laughs> um, is there anything else that we would like to say about the scene? Well, just touching quickly on Clancy Brown, apparently, and I'll go into this in more detail in the next step, he actually had, and he kind of talks a bit about it in interviews, a really tough time on this film for a number of reasons, and it might not have been um, the most pleasant experience for him, sadly, but um, I'll talk a bit about that in the uh, in the next couple of episodes. Well, he did almost kill Sean, didn't he? So, there we go. He, he disputes that, but yes, that is the... Uh, 
That is the story. <laughs> you would, and um, yeah. you would though, wouldn't you? Would you? Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you would try and kill Sean Connery. Yeah. Well, you could either, you either deny or you wear it as a badge of honour. Oh, I right, suppose, okay. I so. thought you meant you would though, wouldn't you? Is in terms oh, no, of nearly no. killing Sean Connery. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you would deny it, not. <laughs> Russell Mulcahy goes for the official or the accepted version of that story, which is the really, really dramatic one. Um, but again, we'll get into that on the next episode, I suppose. Okay. So a lovely teaser there for... <laughs> cool. Okay, then. So, Mark and Elaine, anything else to say about the scene? Nothing from us, I don't think. Nothing from us. And I think that's it from me. Rightio, then. Well, Mark and Elaine, thank you so much for coming on again. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I was waiting for Mark to be a bit more effusive. <laughs> just, just went, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. We, we love coming on. Um, we're, it's just been brilliant and it's made quite a... a, a a challenging week it's top topped it off i think it's something lovely so thank thanks very much guys because we really do enjoy um your company and uh talking about highlander oh oh well thank you very much well one of the things that i um i think i can say that we really enjoy is your podcast so if our listeners wanted to listen to you talk about film and telly and many other things where can they do that you can find us uh anywhere you get podcasts or at thehoneymoonperiod.com. And you could find us on Twitter and Instagram at thehoneymoonpod. Excellent. Thank you very much. And Mr. Wallace, if people wanted to find you and your musings on the internet, where could they do that? Uh, yes. If you want to find me online, you can do so on Twitter at Robert M. Wallace. You can find my writing at of all the film sites, www.ofallthefilmsites.com. And yeah, if you want to hear. Um, more general musings on film from myself and Mr. Daniel, you can uh, find our podcast, sister podcast, The Movie Robcast, uh, wherever you're listening to this, and uh, follow it on Twitter at Movie Robcast. Excellent, thank you very much. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, then I am at Rob underscore A underscore Daniel, and you can find my writing at filmstories.co.uk, lovehorror.co.uk, and electric-shadows.com. And... If you want to follow this podcast, then you can do that on Twitter at McLeod Time. And if you want to rate or review us wherever you listen to your podcast, then please do. It's always appreciated and it helps the podcast. And if you want to drop us a Highlander-themed email about anything Highlander, or if you want a guest on the show, then you can do that at whowantstopodforever at gmail.com. So, thank you very much for listening. And thank you, Mr. Wallace. Thank you. And thank you, Mark and Elaine. Thank you. And until next time... Another time, McLeod! That was the best one yet. Another time, McLeod!